today, uh, not just because it's Father's Day, but I couldn't get away from talking about uh, father wounds. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about freedom from past wounds. So I'm going to do that next week because this is such a big category. There's a lot to discuss. And uh, so I'll kick that one to next week. But I just couldn't get away from talking about specifically the father wounds that, that, we, that we may have. And so as we are turned to Luke chapter 4, that's what we'll focus on today. Let's go ahead and pray as we set ourselves to study the Word of God. Father, we thank you, uh, first of all, that you're our Heavenly Father in Christ. We say happy Father's Day to you. You're our great example. We thank you that you sent your one and only Son. We agree today with the psalmist that your Word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And God, we pray by your spirit that you would guide us into all truth today. I pray that, Lord, you'd do surgery on our heart if we need it. I pray that you'd heal us where we need it. I pray you'd encourage us and strengthen us, Lord. Some of us need to be lifted up, God. We need, to be, uh, we need a second wind, God. We need your help in our life. And, and maybe it could be that there's a thing that's covered up from the past that originates from the relationship that we have with our Father. And there's mixed emotions today. And God, I just pray for your healing power, your divine touch over our life. I pray for your word to strengthen us. We thank you for that. We welcome you into all this is, let this be yours in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, When Jesus started his ministry, as we've discussed, he described his mission in this way. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. And I want you to pay attention to this part. To set free those who are oppressed. This word oppressed is a cultural word in in that it's used a lot. And I think sometimes when a word is overused, we tend to lose its meaning. And so in this context, the word oppressed means bruised, crushed, or wounded. And there's two Bible translations in English that actually refer to the word oppressed as wounded. In fact, the Bible in basic English says it this way, to make the wounded free from their chains. And here's uh, what I want to say in the beginning of our time and focusing on father wounds is that Jesus came to set us free And that even goes into the deepest parts of those areas in our soul that we don't even know we're bound. And we may have some kind of wound that just goes so deep and it causes us to think a certain way or feel a certain way or even react. And we're not even sure why we are the way we are, do what we do. But it could be that we have some wounds and those wounds could be traced back um, to our father. It could be traced back to our earthly father. And God is a healer. Jesus declares that. We might be asking, what's a wound? And so I want to define that for us today so we know what we're talking about. Wounds are past traumatic, difficult events, either singular or ongoing, that have deeply or negatively impacted us. They could be things like abandonment or abuse, and that means physical, verbal, sexual, mental, broken relationships, divorce, adultery, or maybe you've walked through an abortion and that just that sticks with you, that remains with you, obviously. And there's all kinds of things that we could target or we could talk about, that the wounds that we have, these kinds of things. But the question is, why do we have them or why did we do some of the things in our life? A lot of the things that we do in life that are negative or sinful, it's not just because we're sinful. That's certainly part of it. But there are reactions that we have in life. We're 
we're constantly living out of that soundtrack that's playing in the back of our mind. And we don't really know it's there because our world is so noisy. And if we just keep working and we keep producing and we keep going after the things of this life, we don't have to get quiet enough to hear that there's something in the back of our minds that's playing like a soundtrack. And it's always on. But when it gets quiet enough, man, we hear that thing and we go, what is that? It's causing something to spike in our life. It's causing reactions. And I just believe that God, sometimes he'll stop us, no matter how old we are. We might have known Jesus for 30 years and we think everything's healed. We're saved, sanctified, and delivered. But all of a sudden, he puts his finger on something. We might be 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. He puts his finger on something in our life and says, I'm now dealing with this. And maybe it is that we couldn't hear that before, or maybe we weren't mature enough to be able to handle the words that he wants to share and the depth to which he wants to go to. But God does that, and I'm so thankful that he's constantly delivering us in sanctification. But sometimes it's those wounds, it's those deep things that we don't even know how to acknowledge. But Jesus is a healer. In fact, the Bible calls him the great physician. And aren't you thankful today that no matter what you're struggling with or where it comes from, that Jesus is your healer? He said, I've come to set the captives free. Those that are oppressed, whatever wounds you have, I'm the healer. This is what Jesus declares over our life. Some of the wounds that we have come from our sinful choices. Some come from the sinful choices or the difficult things that have happened to us from, from other people. In specific, I'm referring to our earthly fathers today. And I want to first talk to you a little bit about the importance of a father. Because this obviously is so deep in Scripture and it's Father's Day, and I think it's, I think it's important just, just to focus um, on that. I think Father's Day can come with some mixed emotions. Um, I know because I meet with so many people, and in my office, I can't tell you how many times the relationship with their father will come up. Something happened long time ago, and they never thought that it mattered. In fact, it was just recently I was talking to somebody, and uh, they're a grown man. And they never thought that there was an issue that happened in their childhood in specific with their father that caused them to think or feel a certain way. And now they're dealing with it. And they just pushed it off, you know, and now God is showing them how healing is going to come. But I think on Father's Day, as much as we want to celebrate our fathers, we also want to talk about how it is that we get free and we get healed from something that could be so deep. This demonstrates, though, when we think about the importance of a father, it demonstrates how important that a father's role is in all of our lives. When it, when it comes to the Christian faith, sociologists have res researched this data for years. It's very accessible. You can just look it up online. In his studies, the sociologist Vern Bankston demonstrates that the single most important factor in whether a child adopts the faith of their parents is the quality of that child's relationship to the father. The leading voice of modern psychology, Sigmund Freud, who I'm not affirming everything he said, by the way, I'll just throw that out there to you. He said this, he's an atheist, nothing is more common than for a young person to lose their faith in God when he loses his respect for his father. These secular voices are telling us what God's word has already told us. And we see this affirmation all over the place. But what does God's word say about the role of a father in the lives of their kids? Well, I just have nine things, and it's not an exhaustive list, but here's some things that the Bible says. Number one, fathers teach their kids the truth. Fathers, number two, fathers, fathers model a godly life to their kids. Number three, fathers provide for their kids. Number four, fathers discipline their children. 
Number five, fathers spend time with their kids. There's a passage in Deuteronomy 6 and 6 through 9, and you might say, well, it doesn't say that they spend time with their kids, but I'm concluding that because it says in your rising up and you're going to sleep that you're constantly, fathers are constantly teaching their kids the word, and they're coming and they're going. You can't do that unless you spend time with your kids, amen? It's not just a drive-by Give your kids a memory verse, amen? It's, you gotta spend time with them and embed the scripture into their life. And so the power of a father's presence is so clear. Fathers show compassion to their kids. There's this Bible verse that says that God the Father has compassion on us just like a father for their children. I mean, he's so much greater, but I think, wow, He's, he's using this reference, the psalmist is, to say that a father ought to have compassion, and God is like that. I mean, it's a reverse. Usually we think of God is so compassionate, and fathers ought to be the same way. But in this way, it's using it as a different metaphor, and I, or a reverse metaphor, and I think it's powerful. It shows us this is how we ought to be as fathers. Fathers never give up on their kids. In Luke 15, it talks about how God is, and this is the story of the prodigal son, and certainly this is not, I mean, this is not a reference to earthly fathers, but earthly fathers want to be like God the Father. And so if God never gives up and he's full of rescue and he's always going after, certainly this is how we want to be as fathers, amen? This is what God wants us to be like as well. Fathers love their kids with all their heart. The Bible says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then what? Love your neighbor? We're going to memorize that verse. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I mean, in my house, my closest neighbor is the person parked next to me in room number two. And so let's start in our own household. Love our kids as we love ourselves. right? There's this call to love our children with all of our heart. And this clearly sees the power of a father's role in the development of their children. Now, women, to be fair, it's not Mother's Day, so I'm not talking about you. But we understand the blessing of, of a mother. We understand the importance of the role of a mother as well. I'm just targeting the men today. And all of us, really, because we've, we've had fathers as well. But I, I want to say, when you look at this list, number one, you can use it as a discernment list that if you've missed any of these things from your dad, it is possible that this provides discernment for where it is that you might be wounded because there could be a vacuum or a lack of something. If this is what the Bible tells us fathers are called to do, and there are many things in there that they haven't done, maybe we filled that void with someone or something else, and so this could provide discernment. But it also should tell us that the enemy has a plan to destroy us knowing that the role of a father is so powerful. And we live in a culture where gender doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman and you can change all that. So if gender doesn't matter, certainly roles like fathers and mothers don't matter. And all the statistics that we've ever known about the power of a mother and a father, it just gets washed away in all of this gender ideology and the, the, the impact of it, the effect of it. The enemy wants to dismantle and destroy the role of a father. And that's what the culture says. You know, the culture used to talk about women in such a way where women were worthless and women were this and that. And now the pendulum has swung to the other side where almost every movie you watch, men are dumb. Fathers aren't to be listened to. I mean, that's in our media, that's in our culture, that's in our school systems, ladies and gentlemen. And there's a reason for it. Culture is sick. The world is sick. People without God, they don't know. They don't know their heavenly father and they can't receive healing. And so the world being sick tries to heal itself. 
And the remedy is often worse than the problem. And so this is what we're living in. And this is why we're thankful that God gives us his word so that we all know who he is and what he's like and how we're supposed to be. And aren't you thankful that he gave us a standard and we might struggle with it, we, we might squirm a little bit, but God's word remains the same. And it has been this way for so long, so we don't have to be confused. We just don't have to be confused. But I guarantee you, the culture's remedy of trying to heal this whole issue is just making it worse. And so instead of getting angry about that, we dive into God's word and we say, Lord, what have you taught us? What do you, what do you want us to do? How do we stand in this time and become who you made us to be? Psychologists say that our habits, beliefs, and foundational behaviors are often solidified by the age of nine. Now, I'm not a psychologist or a therapist, so I can't validate that. I, I don't know these studies that well. But even though I can't affirm that statistic, I can tell you that it is very true that the things that happen in our early years, they do go deep into our life. And as that's the case, I, I just want us to be aware of how far these things, uh, these things can go and not push them off when we're talking about emotional wounds. Look at some of the staggering statistics related to fatherlessness, which also shows us the importance of a father's role. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. And by the way, I threw like the sightings so that you know I'm not getting them from like Joe's blog about my opinion. <laughs> Right, you could just go, I think it's important. You know, I publish books, you get into trouble if you just kind of throw your own opinions out there. But 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes. 85% of all children who show behavior disorders come from fatherless homes. 71% of all high school dropouts. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers. 71% of pregnant teenagers. 43% of U.S. children live without their father. Fox News did an article in June 2022. I read it yesterday. They cited all these statistics to show that the United States currently has 24 million children growing up without a father, giving us the title for world leader in fatherlessness. Now, I almost said, way to go, America, but I didn't want to offend you, but I just told you I was going to say it, so there it is. That's pretty sad. We're not sure what the problem is. Why is everything so messed up? I wonder if there's something deeper underneath it, if this is an issue. I bet you it is. I bet you it is. And so I want to talk to you not only about the importance of a father, but the reality of father wounds. And my first point is everyone has father wounds. And here's why. That could be my theory, but I think it's true. And I think the reason is because is no matter who your father or father figure was, they weren't perfect. There's only one that's perfect. And so they made mistakes, they sinned, they messed up, they did things that they shouldn't. Having a good dad doesn't exempt us from an event or behavior that wounded us deeply. It's very normal. Over the last few weeks, I thought about characters in the Bible and how we often highlight their victories and we don't think much about the things that humanize them. And so we look at them as men and women on pedestals and we think through this filter of who they are and what they're like. But I just started thinking about some of them and the ones that I'm bringing up today were men because obviously in the Old Testament it gives a little bit more airtime for, for men, un, probably unfairly, but whatever. Um, and so I'm just going to bring up a few of them and kind of humanize them to us today. The first one is Joseph, um, and that's found in Genesis 37 through 50. Now, I can't read to you all those scriptures, but you go home and knock yourself out, amen? There's a lot there, and it's well worth your time. 
But Joseph was the 11th son of his father Jacob and the first son of, his Jake, of Jacob's favored wife, Rachel. Jacob favored Joseph so much that he gave him special positions. He gave him some nice clothes. Remember the, the coat of many colors. I don't know what that looked like, but that's what the Bible tells us. So he wore this pretty coat. And all of Joseph's brothers hated him for this, and eventually they tried to kill him. But they negotiated killing him down to selling him into slavery because they figured they were doing him a solid. Now listen, it wasn't bad treatment that caused him harm. It was special or unfair treatment in the midst of his siblings. And that actually happens in families, doesn't it? Sometimes a parent treats another child better than the others, and it causes deep emotional pain in the brothers and sisters. This has happened to some of us. This creates a father wound. And it also creates a father wound in Joseph. Because I can imagine at some point in his life, sitting in a jail cell, he wished that his dad didn't give him the dang coat. (laughs) Dad, why'd you give me the Versace, man? But either way, even in his special and unfair treatment in the midst of family, it caused something that was unwanted by Joseph. And so you can just imagine. I, I, I just wonder if that's sometimes how we feel, is we feel like I was the last child and I was overlooked. I hear that stuff. That creates a father wound. It doesn't mean that our father meant to do that. It doesn't mean that this is what our family was intentionally set on, but it's good to acknowledge those things so that we can heal and not live our life out of reaction to them. The second is Moses. You see in Exodus 1 through 3, his father was Amram. Moses grew up without him because his mother sought to protect him from the severe persecution in Egypt. So she sent Moses down the Nile River in a basket where he was picked up by Pharaoh's daughter and he was raised in Pharaoh's house. We don't know the level of interaction that he had with his earthly dad. We, we don't read about that. Maybe he had some because he was nursed by um, his own family. But it seems to me that he grew up without his earthly father and really any good male role model. And this could have affected him. You remember the angry guy that struck the rock? What was he angry about? <laughs> Maybe he wasn't just mad at his fellow Israelites. It, there could be things in his life. And when you start to humanize these people in the Bible, you see that that there is a lack, there is an absence, there is a missing in them. The third person I thought about was Joshua. Joshua grew up in the wilderness as the Israelites came out of Egypt. His father's name was Nun. That's pretty cool. This is Joshua, son of Nun. This doesn't go over well. In Hebrew it does, not in English. Joshua was called, he was called to lead Israel into the promised land, but before assuming his assignment, not only did he lose his earthly father, but he also lost Moses. Moses was taken by the Lord, so he loses his dad, he loses his father figure, and then he assumes the greatest mantle of leadership that anybody could have had at that time. Think about going into your, the greatest task that you're ever going to take on, and you don't have the men that you've looked up to, the people that were supposed to be there for you. You can't call them. You can't talk to them. They're not there for you. It's not their fault, but I'm just saying that actually can create a father wound. Even when it's not their fault, it can create a hole in your heart. And the other person I was thinking of was Gideon. Gideon's father was Joash, and he was an idol worshiper. We know because in Judges chapter 6, it says that he had altars built to false gods on his property. And I don't know if you remember when Gideon was called by God, He was clearly in fear of the Midianites. But what's interesting, before God calls him, 
to go deal with the Midianites, he has a series of tests that he has him go through. And one of the first ones was you need to tear down all the idols. Guess where the idols and all of those altars were? On his dad's property. You remember when Gideon fleeced the Lord to get confirmation? He knew that it was going to go against his dad and he was going to have repercussions of all the Israelites. And he was so afraid of his father that he made God confirm to him three times. Now, whenever people talk to me about fleecing God, I say, please don't. Because Gideon didn't do that out of a good heart. He did that out of fear and insecurity. What's interesting about Gideon is we highlight the victories of his life, and we should, because God uses all of us in our brokenness, and that's a powerful truth. But the reality is, is that before Gideon died, with all the victories that he had, it says in Judges chapter 8 that he erected the same altars that his father had on his property. And it says those altars and those false gods became a stumbling block to Israel until this day. He did the same thing that his father did. If you just do a little study of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, it constantly says, and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And sometimes it says, as their fathers did. It's kind of an amazing thing. You see it, but you don't pay attention to it. If you're like me, we kind of like don't highlight that. Like there's a father name in there. The iniquity of the fathers goes to the third and the fourth generation. It's, it's in there, but we don't stop and ask the question, why does it say the fathers? Why does it highlight that? What's, what's there, what power is in that? What, what do we need to know that we, don't, that we don't know? Well, I also wanted to highlight David really quick, 1 Samuel 16 and 17 and all of 2 Samuel. David's father's Jesse and scripture is clear and he doesn't, that he doesn't think much about David. He overlooks him. Samuel the prophet comes to his house. Pastor Ryan talked about that a couple weeks ago. Samuel the prophet comes to Jesse's house. Jesse brings all of his sons that he's proud of in front of Samuel. Surely this is the anointed of the Lord. David's out back with all of the sheep. That's his job. Samuel's like, it's none of these guys. And so he's like, do you have another son? He goes, well, I have this other one back here. And in Hebrew, scholars agree that this word can mean unimportant or worthless. I have this worthless son, but what is he? He surely, he can't be this. Samuel, I know you're a prophet and I know your words don't fall to the ground, but you might be missing it on this one. I mean, he contends with the prophet of God because he looks down on his son. Some scholars say that it's because he might have a different mother than his brother's um, and we don't know much about her. One of the Psalms actually does say David loves his mom. I mean, so he loved his mom, but we don't know much about why his father Jesse looked down on him. But because his father had such a perspective of David, it caused David's brothers to hate him. They constantly talk down to him. Whenever you see David's brothers talk to him, they're just, they say the same thing. Why are you here, worthless one? This is how they think of him as well. And this comes from their dad. And here's what happens in David's own parenting. A situation much later after David is king, his son Amnon raped his sister Tamar. This also is David's daughter. David was angry, it says, but he did nothing. You know what the law says when someone rapes a person like this? It says, kill him. So David was angry, but he did not want to follow the law. And so basically, he was passive. He did nothing. Now, his other son Absalom was so angry that his dad did nothing, that he didn't uphold the law. He's the king of Israel. He didn't do anything. It took him a little bit of time, and he ends up going to kill his brother Amnon. Now, 
after he kills him, David's grieved. And so he tells his commander to take his son Absalom and bring him over next to the palace. So he basically gives him a house that's right next door to the palace in Jerusalem. And Absalom sits there for two years and David never talks to him at all. Scripture says all of this. So he's sitting there for two years and finally he gets so angry, his son does, that he says, I'm gonna usurp my father. And he ends up coming in he ends up coming into Jerusalem in such a way where he overthrows his dad. And this is when David flees. So the rest of the Psalms and the rest of the second Kings where you see David on the run, it isn't just because his son is bad. His son was so angry at his father's passivity. This was a father wound. You can see the cycle from Jesse to David to Absalom. This is what we see. It's in the scriptures. It's right there. These are father wounds. That's what they are. The most prominent father wounds are the physically absent father. This is the first one. Some of us had fathers who were entirely absent throughout their, our life and we've learned to live without them. Their absence is often internalized as personal rejection. Like I said, there's this background soundtrack that creates a sadness in our life. I raised two boys who I became their stepdad, as most of you know, and they had absent fathers. Both of them had a different dad and they were not in their life. And I always tried to figure out how to do this because I'm in my 20s and I don't know how to be a father, obviously. And so I'm reading a lot of books and talking to counselors. And I've had a lot of friends over the years that are counselors. And I have figured out a way to get free counseling without paying for it. <laughs> I've also figured, there's some doctors in the room, I figured out a way to get free medical care without navigating America's insurance. <laughs> Amen. If you are a chiropractor, I'd love your card at the end of the <laughs> service and, you know, or a contractor. Or I'm working on some landscaping. We could just go back to the barter system, ladies and gentlemen. And so I, I would get counsel and I realized that there are two polar opposites when, when you have an absentee father. It's, it's this overachiever. So someone that's going to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, and they're going to achieve, achieve, achieve. They're going to go, they're going to prove that they can do it. And the other side is someone that is um, emotionally unresponsive, a person that just basically says, I don't care. Those are the two polar opposites. And there's a lot of things in between, but this is categorically true for someone that hasn't had the father. Young women can struggle to respect themselves or have confidence, and they end up craving love or care from a man where they are willing to do things they normally wouldn't. Because this promise of romance, it becomes such a vain attempt to get the love that they lacked, but it happens all the time. These are cycles and they come from these wounds. Sometimes kids grow up unable to rely on anyone or have a hard time, they have a hard time trusting people. I've got a friend and he's the most secure person that I know. So I called him this week and I mean it. I mean, this guy, he's so secure that he's oblivious to his security. You know you're secure if you don't even realize like you're secure and everyone knows it but you. And when somebody points it out, you're like, oh, that's weird. Huh, never thought about that. Like you are so secure. And so I called him and I said, why are you so secure? Like you don't question anybody. Like you, he's, he celebrates everyone. He promotes everyone. He wants the best for everyone. He's that person. And you know his first answer was, I had a good father. He didn't pray about it. He didn't even have to think about it. I said, what makes you like this? He said, I had a good dad. He didn't take any credit. He said, it was my dad that instilled this in my life. 
He just pointed at this good example that he had. My dad always championed me, and I watched him champion everyone else. And it just, that got into my DNA. I wanted the best for everyone. And he goes, I don't know, man. I just love it. And I was like, can you just pray for me right now? <laughs> just, just feeling like a little emotionally wounded. So like, <laughs> I'm pretty secure, but I'm not anywhere close to him. The second, though, is the emotionally distant father, the father that is there, but he's not there. He's physical, physically present, but he's emotionally unavailable, and he's hurt himself, right? I mean, hurt people hurt people. So it's not like I'm blaming anybody. I'm not, I'm not trying to whoop on anybody. I'm just saying, like, the reason that some of us are the way that we are is because we caught that from someone else, but they caught that from someone else. These are the cycles. The Bible calls them generational curses, and these can be broken in Christ. This kind of situation with the emotionally distant father can bring about wounds that are just as deep when a father isn't physically present because you expect more, like you're there, but you're not available. And so you have these expectations and they're constantly not met. So in some cases, a person wishes that they weren't physically there because it's kind of like they're not anyways, but it reminds them of the hurt and the pain and it just kind of like a hammer on a nail. It keeps hitting it down a little bit deeper. These kids grow up with a man right there, but they never hear things like, I love you. They don't hear things like, I'm proud of you. It's hard to remember how many men and how many women have told me that they never heard their dad say, I love you. That no matter how much they achieved, they never heard their father tell them, I'm proud of you. It's, it's hard to calculate how many men and women have told me this. But you have to know, this, this hurts us, this affects us deeply. Jesus can heal us, but we've got to acknowledge these things. This scenario makes us realize that we need more than physical presence. We need heart connection. This is what we were made for. The third is the verbally, physically abusive father. Now, obviously, the impact of this is devastating. I don't have time for it today, and I don't want to go that deep because we'd have to do a lot of surgery. But this is a very real thing in our life. In fact, when I became a stepdad, I learned very quickly that when you have step family or when you have blended families and there's a stepfather or stepmother, uh, statistics tell us that abuse in the home goes up two to four percent. It goes up triple, even quadruple of what is normal abuse in a home of tip, typical American families. I mean, it's just three to four times the amount of abuse that happens. And so obviously I was like bent on like we're going to have the opposite of that and we did, but I just didn't realize like this is why, you know, when you have a scenario break down like this, um, it can cause even more wounds, can compile on themselves as a result of this fix or supposed fix. I think we just need to note that any abuse we have suffered or caused, it, it carries these deep wounds. Number four is the overly critical father. This is the person that's never good enough. I read a bunch of stories this week about how um, high-level athletes and actors that at some point in their career and like years of therapy, they realized that they were trying to achieve the highest levels of their profession because they were trying to prove to their dad that they could do it. And there's so many quotes out there, so many books that have been written, biographies by people at the highest level. They still feel broken and unsatisfied because they weren't doing it just to do it. There was something in them that wanted to prove to themselves and to their dad that they could be something special, even though they never felt special. I mean, wow. The third part of this I want to talk to you about 
is the cycle of father wounds. And here's the point that I want to make in this is that the truth is that we repeat what we do not repair. It's not like we can just push it off and act like it's not there. It's not the way that it works. I was reading how most famous atheists of modernity, uh, like Freud for psychology, or Nietzsche, or Bertrand Russell, the mathematician, uh, Madeleine Murray O'Hare, American activists, these people that are like well-known atheists, they all have one thing in common, an absentee father or a traumatic relationship with their father. This is what we're talking about. There's a root system. There's a reason why people are the way they are. People that hate the idea of God, they cannot see a heavenly father because of how their earthly father has treated them. That can only get healed by God, by the way. This is why he's a father to the fatherless. He's a good, good father. And he can help us to transcend these wounds that we have. But isn't it interesting that we would read this about famous atheists of modernity? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is summoning all of Israel and he's giving to them in his final talk with them before they go into the promised land, he's reminding them of the most important parts of, of what God told him. And he's repeating it to them because they're about to go and he's not going with them. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 5, he's reciting Exodus 20, which happens to be the, the Ten Commandments. But here's what he says, and there's a part in here I know we don't focus on, but I want you to notice this. Here's what he says, verse 8. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now watch this. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Now here's a blessing. Watch this but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You have the blessing and you have the curse. The blessing is more powerful than the curse. That's the point. But don't skip over the fact that it says the iniquity of the fathers. In Hebrew, the word iniquity, it means sin or guilt of our sin. And there's a word picture attached to it. It means to bend or it means a predisposition to be bent. Now, just to illustrate this, it means this. Um, how many of you have ever bought a car and it pulled hard right or left? It was out of alignment. I, I, had, I bought a 1987 Nissan Stanza. It was white. It had blue interior. It had definitely illegally tinted windows. Amen. And I had that bump and stereo system, JVC. Do they even make that anymore? J you remember JVC? I was so proud of that. I had that double din when they came out, you know. That's right. Went to car stereo. I don't think they're around anymore. And I even had an alarm system on that car. I thought it was so cool. It was that alarm system that said when a person got up to the car or touched it, it said, please step away from the vehicle. I'm telling you the truth, guys. I bought one of those alarms. I thought I was so good. Our neighbors, we have two neighbors in our neighborhood. We walk and we pray for our you know, neighbors or whatever. And uh, we have two houses in our neighborhood that when you even get close to their house, it says, please move away from the house. I'm like, come on, man. You can't get any more unneighborly than that. I mean, I know Federal Way can be tough, but it ain't that tough. I mean, that is gangster. I don't get that. That is crazy. But uh, you almost want to just get closer to the house just because, isn't that right? You just want to get, get, get a little closer. That's where it gives you a couple languages and everything, just in case you didn't hear. <laughs> it's like, get closer, it's another language. Amen. But um, I had this 1987 Nissan Stanza, and I bought it, and it always pulled to the right. And so I spent like a 1000 bucks 
to get it fixed, get the alignment fixed. It never got fixed, right? I mean, it just never got fixed. I'd get the alignment done and I would try to convince myself it was better. I'm like, yeah, it's better. And then you let your, let your hands off the wheel. Eh, I mean, it's better than it was. It's better than it, it's not better. It still pulls to the right. Like something fundamentally is wrong with my, with my car. Now here's the truth. I sold that car to somebody within four or five months uh, and I told them the truth about the car, but in four or five months, um, they, they basically took their eyes off the road and they were driving right in front of this uh, stadium. And the car pulled so hard to the right, it hit one of those lights that goes all the way up to shine in the parking lot of a large stadium. And the thing came down and it blocked like the whole way. And they called me and we tried to, you know, work out some negotiations, you know. But uh, it's like, I told you. But it's like, this car kept pulling to the right no matter what. It was bent. It was predisposed to go a certain way. And here's the truth. Is when we're born, because of the fall, because of sin, we are predisposed towards the flesh. In Christ, we're born again, and now we can walk by the Spirit. We talked about that two weeks ago. But here's the reality, is that there, there are these things that have wounded us in our life. There are these father wounds that we may have. We were, it's not just... Um, nature, that's the fall, but it's nurture, and they can happen in our own home. And as that is the case, we can be predisposed on not only being like, but reacting to. And we wake up later in life and go, I don't know why I am the way I am. And we just have to recognize that these cycles can continue. But aren't you thankful today that in Christ, these cycles can be broken? And there's a way that they can be broken. And part of that is by not, is by stop. We have to stop acting like they're not there. We have to stop acting like they're not there. And so the question could be, how, how do we heal from father wounds? And I just have two things I, I want to leave you with today. And they're not, they're not things that you don't know. They're things that you need to be reminded of. And the first one is go to your heavenly father and receive healing. If you didn't have a dad and you feel like you have that hole in your life, Psalm 68 and verse 5 is a verse that I've given to hundreds of people. And it says, He is a father to the fatherless, a judge for the widows. This is who God is in his holy dwelling. He makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. And only the rebellious live in parched lands. God is a father to the fatherless. God is a father to every one of us if we're in Christ. We are now reconciled to our heavenly father. And here's what can happen to us. Sometimes we make these inner vows. You may not even know that you've done it. I've done it. I know I've done it. And we make these inner vows and we say things like, I'm never going to be like my dad. I'm never going to do what he did. I'm going to be so different. And I want to stop you from thinking or saying that because those words have no power. These inner vows that we make, all they are is energy that we're wasting that prove that we still have a father wound. When we say these things, when we think these things, it's proof that there's something in here that we need healed. And it doesn't get healed by us saying that we're never gonna do that. It gets healed by giving ourselves to Jesus. And God then begins to father us and heal us in those places. These rooms in our soul, as we open the door of that room in our soul to God, he floods in and he begins to heal us and wash us and instruct us and give us the things that we were missing or the things that we need. We don't need to make these statements against our earthly father. We need healing from our heavenly father. 
When we come before God, we have to acknowledge that we have it. And sometimes I hear people say this. They say, you know, my dad did the best he could. You know, the boomer generation, not to pick on you guys, but I hear you say it more than anybody. I do. And, uh, you know, a whole generation of people actually put down counseling so much that the next generation needed twice as much. That's true. Now, again, I'm not talking about modern psychology and things that disagree with the Bible. There's some things that are true. There's some things that are not true. If you've ever heard me talk about this, the statement that I make is, my psychology can't inform my theology, right? My theology informs my psychology. But it doesn't mean I throw everything out. I have to learn. I have to grow. And I'm thankful for counselors. I'm thankful for therapists that love Jesus and understand Scripture and walk in that those parameters, but the people that fight it the most are usually the people that need it the most. And it offends people. I've just, I can't tell you how many folks, one time, guys, I'm just going off. You're welcome. One time, when I first came to Northwest Church, and I'm I'm healed of this as far as I can tell, so I can talk about it, but uh, I was wounded because my fourth week here, I had a woman walk up to me And I mean, I knew I wasn't all that in a bag of chips. You know, I already knew that, but I didn't need someone to tell me that, you know. Uh, But anyway, so someone walked up to me and she said to me, uh, I preached a message called possessing an unoffendable heart. And then I started talking about anger. And that was, those are my first messages. I think I was being prophetic, if you don't, if you don't mind me saying so. But I I was talking about those things when I first came here because that's what had touched my heart the deepest. Like God had brought me to a place where I hadn't been before. I'm not saying deeper than you, but I'm just saying he had brought me to a deeper place of dealing with some of these things so that I could be the man that he wanted me to be. And I wanted to share some of what I was learning with uh, my new church family. And I had a woman walk up to me and say, Pastor Ben, we don't need that psychology babble. We just need the word of God. And I just looked at her, and in my heart, guys, I didn't say it. You should be proud of me. I didn't say it. I said, ma'am, you need more of what I'm talking about than anybody here. (laughs) And I mean, I was preaching the Bible, right? But it's like you can't quote some of these other people just to make a comment or whatever. And, and, you know, she she lasted maybe a month, you know. I don't know. She's gone. God bless you if you're watching. I don't know. (laughs) But the reality is, is that some people will say, you know, my dad did the best that he could. And that's true, right? But that doesn't mean that you don't have a father wound. And it's not wrong, and it doesn't mean that your father was malicious or some scumbag because you have a father wound for some reason. And this one thing, because we don't want to embarrass our dad or we don't want to act like he was a bad person, we avoid dealing with the thing because we don't want to say that there's an actual problem. And friends, all that does is keep us bound. We can love our father and say they did the best that they could, just like I'm trying to do the best I can. But there's something that God wants to deal with, and we have to be able to acknowledge it. And I'll tell you, denial is not our friend. It never helps us. Half the time I spend in counseling at times, I'm just trying to help somebody come to a place where they can acknowledge and be honest about what's really there instead of spiritualizing it and acting like it's not. See, true spirituality is absolute humility and honesty. The Bible says God gives his grace to the humble. And as far as I know, humble people are very honest. We're not blame shifting. This isn't Dr. Phil. 
We're not saying it's your fault that I'm doing this. No, no, no. We're doing this so it's our fault. But if we're, if we're not careful, we can't trace it back as to what we're reacting to. And that's what I'm talking about. There are often these things that we're not dealing with that are causing the problems that we are dealing with. And if we're not willing to see that, then we just keep running after the symptoms and not the root causes. But going to our Heavenly Father is what we must do. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says, It's by His wounds we have been healed. And I love this word salvation because it's sozo. It means to be holistically covered, holistically healed, set free. It's talking about not just saved and we're going to heaven when we die. It's that God wants to make us whole. Satan wants to define us by our wounds, but Jesus wants to redefine us by his. And the more we allow him in, the more honest and the more humble we are, the more we become like Jesus. And what he paid for goes deeper and deeper and deeper into our life. And that's what I want. You wake up in the morning and you say, Lord, I want to be like you. And the Bible says that I'm made. I am made to grow into your likeness from glory to glory. And that doesn't happen by accident. It happens through honesty and humility and owning some things and recognizing things and giving ourselves to God. Here's my wounds. Take them and heal me. Our strength is not by acting like we don't deal with things. Our strength is by humbling ourselves. For some reason, we think being a strong Christian is looking the part and acting the part and speaking the part. Some Pentecostals were so guilty. It's like, just speak faith. And in so doing, we don't recognize the actual problems and faith doesn't get applied to those things in our life. And it's a shame. But God wants to heal us. That's what he does. He's really good at it, guys. Amen. Our heavenly father is really good at healing us and healing us deeply. But here's what happens if you go to your heavenly father. He is going to inevitably, inevitably lead you and I to something. And that is forgive your earthly father and be released. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 6 and 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Here's what I've learned. Forgiven people, forgive people. I've had people look me in the face and say, I'm not going to forgive. And I look them back in the face and say, you have to forgive. This is what Christians do. And it's not just obligation. It's that as you receive your healing from God, you're able to give it to others. As you receive forgiveness from God, you're able to give. This is what freedom looks like. It flows through our life. It's not, Lord, I just want everything you have for me. When he gives you what he has for you, it flows out of you. And if it doesn't flow out of you, then the question is, what did you receive? He gives you more than enough. God, I want your healing. Part of our healing is to forgive our dads. We didn't deserve and we couldn't earn the forgiveness and the grace of God. And in some cases, our fathers don't either. But we give it anyways because that's what the grace and the mercy and the love of God is. It's what it's like as we received it, so we should give. So I want to say uh, something to you today, to everyone, whether you're a man or a woman or you're a father or not, I want to ask you, if you do have a father wound, I want to tell you, forgive your dad. I want you to look me in the eyes. Forgive your father. Some of you need to hear this. Hear it in your heart. Forgive your dad. And you might say, I have done that. I'm asking you, if the sting is still there, you need to do it again. 
You forgive until the sting goes away. If you still feel it, there's something there. Forgive. There's so much power. You say, well, Ben, he's not alive. Forgive him. It's a vertical thing. Stand up. Walk and pray. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. I forgive my dad. Even though he's not alive, I forgive him. Thank you for your love and your forgiveness. I forgive my father. Just do that. Do it out of your mouth. Let it come out of your mouth. It might take all the faith you have. Some of us, it might be easy to do, and maybe you haven't recognized that you actually have a father wound, and this might be a moment where you go, maybe I do have a father wound. I want to tell you, I'm not trying to dig up old bones. If you've dealt with it, you've dealt with it. Leave it in the ground. But I remember one time preaching this message or something like it, not quite this. And there was a man, he was 55 years old. He heard about father wounds. He'd been a Christian for a long time, 30 years. He heard this message. He heard about father wounds. He heard about forgiveness. He knew this. He had done this, but something touched him. The next day he woke up on a Monday, he drove across two states and had a three-hour meeting with his dad. And in that time, he forgave his father. And I remember seeing that guy the next week. During that week, after a message, he was so changed. He was so different. His countenance, you could see it in his face. He acted. It took all the faith that he had. He he acted on that word, and he went to forgive his father, and it transformed him. Nothing was perfect. His dad didn't repent and own everything or anything like that. And that wasn't the point. The point was is that this is what I'm going to do because I'm not going to live in reaction to what was, I'm gonna live in response to who Jesus is. And that's what he made a decision to do. You could see it on his face. He was a different guy. And this is what James means when he says, don't be a hearer only. Be a person that hears the word and responds to it. We spend all of our energy saying yes to Jesus and not saying no to the things that he's convicting our hearts of. If you would stand, I need to close. Amen. I hope I didn't go too deep this morning. Actually, I hope I did. Hope I did. Can I uh, tell you, fathers in the room today, if you're a dad, would you raise your hand? Can I just see you real quick? If you're a father, a lot of us in here, we love you. God bless you guys. We're thankful for you. And I want to say this to you uh, today. Um, Some of you, maybe you lost your kids. If you lost your kids, may God's comfort and grace be with you. Nobody should have to bury their children. So may God's heart be with you today. For those of us that have kids that that are alive and well and we could talk to them, can I just tell you, pursue your children. If they're adults, pursue them, call them. If they don't like you, call them. If they hate you, pray for them. Tell them you love them. Even if you don't think they're gonna respond to it, tell them. Let it mess with them. Oh, Pastor Ben, I don't think I can say that. Say it anyways. Tell your kids you love them. If you've done something wrong, ask for forgiveness. Be the example that God made you to be. You're an honorable man. Now do what God's called you to do. But pursue your kids. You want to make a difference in this culture? Let's raise our children to know and love Jesus with all their heart. Let's stop getting angry at the world and start getting intentional about our fathering and our mothering in this life. Watch watch what God will do to raise up our kids in the knowledge and the exhortation of God. You think that won't change a generation? It will be the biggest contrast this world has ever seen. But maybe the reason that we're so angry about the world is because we're losing our kids. But I'm not blaming the world for that. 
Instead, I would rather us as moms and dads, especially for fathers today, why don't we pray that whatever cycles exist, that they're broken in the name of Jesus? Why don't we pray for that, something spiritual to happen in this room today? Would you believe for that with me right now? That God would break the cycles, that God would set us free and in so doing set our children free, that they would be raised in homes where they know and they love God even more than us. And God would give us a fresh wind and a passion to pursue our kids. So one more time, if you're a dad, would you just raise your hand? Okay, if you're around them, put your hand on them. Keep your hand up so a hand can get on you. Guys, just yield to it. Amen, just yield to it. Father, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus today. We thank you for all of our fathers. We thank you for their life. We thank you for their love for you. We thank you for their experience, the wisdom, and the gifts that you've put inside them. As we lay hands on them, God, we pray that you would break any cycles. We pray that you would break and confuse the plans and the schemes of the devil. We pray that you would raise them up as men of God in this hour. We ask that you would fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that their sons and their daughters would see godly examples in them more than ever before, especially in a time that we're living in now. God, we pray that they would be men of the word and men of the spirit. We ask you that you would give them strength. We pray Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. God, we pray that you would give them a second wind to pursue their kids, especially where those kids and adults might be estranged. We ask that you would give them words of wisdom, prophetic words that they would know what to do and the wisdom that they should pursue that comes from heaven. So we bless them today. We ask that you would put your hands on them and bless them and use them mightily for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody here say, come on, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written. 